What a joy to be with you today. My uh, wife and I were here the last time in 2015. I was looking back on my records and you have been so faithful to support our work and our mission in Southern Asia. And it has been a joy uh, to have you as a partner. I love that video at the opening because one of my ch uh, things I always share with uh, churches and partners all across the country is that this is a partnership. And so our prayer is that you also are sharing with the lost and reaching them. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact, you know, in 1914, uh, this fellowship was founded. They met uh, originally for the first time in a place just down the road in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and set this fellowship in order. And from the very beginning, friends, it, it was designed that we would be a missions-oriented church. And so we are not... Uh, we are not just like a missions-sending agency with a collection of churches. We are a missions-oriented church that happens to have churches, okay? And so that's what God called us to do, is to carry the good news of the gospel all across the globe. And the Lord called us to do that about 8,900 miles from here. And uh, for... My wife's mom heart, that's a little further than we would like sometimes, but God has been faithful. Our kids live just down the road in Conway, and so we have been home about the last year. In fact, we were scheduled to get on a plane this week and head back uh, to where we were supposed to be. We could be there right now uh, having rice and curry for breakfast, but our airport is not open. And so how many of you know that is a small problem? Yeah. If you, if, you can't, um, if you can't fly in. And it's an island, so we can't swim either. So that makes it a little difficult. But we're just trusting the Lord to work things out. This has been a crazy year. I think most of you can testify to that. And uh, it's a year that we've been fighting a pandemic. This week we found out no one is exempt uh, from uh, uh, contracting that virus. It is no respecter of persons. And we are certainly praying uh, for our nation. It's, uh, it's a year where we've had to learn how to do church different, where we've had to learn to do missions different. It's a year where the Razorbacks have won an SEC football game. Okay, you can get with me on that, right? And so, so it's exciting. I want to invite you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 8. As you're getting to Matthew chapter 8, I'll be referring in the message to some slides uh, this morning. In fact, if you can put up that first uh, picture and then the next one, you'll see a graphic as you're getting to Matthew chapter 8. I just want to give you some perspective about the part of the world that we're serving in. And so you'll see these highlighted countries here in Tan. There's five of them. And we have been living in this uh, area for the last uh, nine years. We first went to the field in 2011. And our focus has been on two primary things. One thing is that we've directed and overseen the translation of the Fire Bible into the local language where we live. Now, our, some of you may not be familiar with the Fire Bible. To give you just a quick snapshot of that, it is a study Bible that is full of notes, uh, full of articles, uh, full of graphs and charts to help people understand God's Word more deeply. 
There is a student version of that Bible that is out there. Uh, Previously, it was called the Full Life Study Bible. Now, I believe it's called the Life and the Spirit Bible. But when we translate those notes into the local language and we translate it overseas, we simply call it the Fire Bible for its Pentecostal emphasis. And so... That Bible, we oversaw the translation, it's been translated, it's been edited, it's been typeset, and we're praying that in the next few months, hopefully early in uh, 2021, that we'll be able to get that printed and get it distributed. It will be the first ever study Bible in the local language. And so that's exciting, and we're looking forward to getting that done. The second thing that we've been involved with is that we have overseen a program to train and equip lay people how to start and then how to lead house churches. You're going to find out in our time together this morning that in so many places in our part of the world where we build a physical building, it makes that building a target for persecution, And so what we have been praying and asking the Lord to do is to raise up lay people in a village, in a small city, who God places it on their heart to hold a study in their home and begin to tell the stories of Jesus. And wouldn't you know that because God's word is living, it's active, pastor, we know that it's capable of transforming people's lives. And so where that happens, the church is birthed. And and we are seeing tremendous results in this house church type of model uh, throughout Southern Asia. And we're just asking the Lord to raise up more lay people. I know that God can do anything, but I just want you to think about this for a moment. In our one country that we've lived in and called home for the last nine years, we have 20,000 villages with no gospel witness. 20,000. That if we went there this morning and we just held a simple prayer meeting and said the name of Jesus, that would be the first time in that place that the name of Jesus has ever been uttered. It's amazing. And so while God can do anything, I don't believe that it's wise to look at trying to build 20,000 buildings. After all, the church is not a building. And I'm not being a critical at all of our American model. I love our traditions and I love what God has allowed this country to be able to do. But I believe that there is a man or a woman of peace in each of those villages that God can raise up and they can start a church. Friends, they can start a fellowship right there in their own home. And so that's what we're believing God to do. 230 million people. As you look at these five countries in this graphic this morning, 230 million people, less than 1% of them know Jesus personally. That's a challenge. And so we don't have a resource problem. We don't have a problem of, of having a plan to be able to share the good news with people. We lack workers and we lack time because I believe that Jesus is returning soon. And I believe that even in a service like this this morning, uh, that God could be working in someone's heart to one day uh, serve on a foreign field. I had no idea uh, when I was growing up that God might one day call me to go. And I want you to hear this and hear it clearly this morning. Friends, missionaries are not heroes. They are are simply people who are obedient to the call of God and God could call you. God could call your children. He could call your grandchildren to serve in a difficult place. But I believe that that's what it will take to see 
the gospel go where it needs to go this morning. And so in Matthew chapter uh, 8, as we'll get to it, you can go on to that next slide. I did have to show this first. You guys, all the kids need to see. You need to pray for me. These are my neighbors. (laughs) Do you know they will take a cell phone and you will never see it again? (laughs) They will play with it until it dies and then they'll break it. This next one, we have more elephants per square kilometer in our part of the world than any other place. Here is a picture. I don't know if you can make it out. This is one of our friendly police officers teaching the elephants to use the crosswalk. And so when, uh, when you drive through the street, you got to be careful. If you think it's bad to hit a deer, just try running into one of these guys. And so just part of our life. It's a wild place, but it's a place that we have really come to love. And I share this passage in Matthew 8 because it reminds me of ministry in Southern Asia. And we're going to pick it up at verse 28. Let's read it together. In Matthew 8, 28, it says, And when he came to the other side, now he is Jesus. So when he came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one would pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region." Isn't that a wonderful picture of ministry? (laughs) Now, I I say that this reminds me somewhat of our work because what I think we can recognize from this story, and it was referenced in the worship time this morning, and thank you for worshiping the Lord with such a fervency. You know, we serve a God who is a victorious God. He is triumphant, and I needed to be reminded of that this morning. There are challenges that all of us are facing. When I think about Southern Asia, we think about places where darkness has been able to rule and to reign for decades, if not centuries. And what we have to understand is that where the good news, where the light of the gospel reaches and penetrates a dark place you can rest assured that all of hell will rage against that. Because what we do fight is a spiritual battle. We understand that there is a spiritual world and that the the devil himself has minions and demons. And in this passage that we read this morning, these two men have come under the influence. They are possessed by demons. They're under the influence of those demons. And what they have been able to do is to create this chaos and this havoc in this particular area, this city or village, if you will, And it has altered the way that people are living their lives. And so there's three things that I want to see us just pull out of this 
passage this morning, and I'm not going to keep you long. Pastor said everybody leaves at noon anyway, so I don't want to be here alone. (laughs) No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Three things. The first thing is this, that Jesus went where others would not go. I, I don't know... I I hope that we know enough, just enough about Jewish culture, and I've got a slide if you'll put that up uh, for this point, that Jesus went where others would not go. Because Jesus steps foot into the country of the Gadarenes. He's just crossed the sea. He knows what's taking place in the spiritual realm. He's not intimidated by that, by the way. And so he steps off the boat, he goes into this place, but in Jewish culture we understand that it was not ideal nor appropriate to be living among the dead. Even in the Old Testament, if we think back when people came in contact with a corpse or uh, various other things, they had to withdraw from the community. They had to go through a process of being purified. And here in our story, we have two demon-possessed men. They are living in a graveyard. And to me, they represent the living dead. That is like those who are living their life, but kind of just going through the motions, living their life without Christ. And the reality is is that we've all been created in God's image. He created us for fellowship. He created us for communion with God. These men have been isolated. And their lives are an absolute wreck. They were being influenced and under the control of the enemy who wants to destroy life even today. That's the enemy's game. They knew who he was. The passage in Matthew said that they met him. The Lucan account says that they came to him. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three synoptic gospels tell this same story. And it's not that this uh, passage or this story is more inspired than any other part of the word. But friends, when we have three gospel writers all telling the same story, it's like that a flag waving saying, pay attention to this. And they all three tell the story. These were demonic spirits who knew the power of God. Can I tell you that that's the call of a missionary? To go where others will not go? Can I tell you that that's what God has called every believer to do? If we take it a step further, we should be loving the people that others will not love. We should be giving a second chance to the person that other people will not give a second chance to. Can I tell you that what if we could even sit down today, you could probably identify uh, streets or blocks or areas in your own community right here in Marion that people have just written off and said, oh, yep, I'm going to avoid that part of town. And that's exactly what's happened in our passage here this morning. But Jesus went where others would not go. What, what remains, in fact, as I think about the, the entire world on the grand scale, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but if you are looking for easy places of ministry, those are all taken. <laughs> there are no easy places left. If it was easy, we would have reached those places, the trumpet would have sounded, and we would all be in heaven and not here this morning. 
And so what remains are those challenging places, the dark places, remote villages, places where the powers of darkness that these men were influenced by have gone unchallenged for decades. We could add America to the list this morning. There are challenging places, challenging times. We find ourselves again in this country uh, with a racial divide. I'm not here to be political this morning. I think any of us can watch the news and understand that we have a problem. And it's time for the church to stand up and say, oh, we're going to go there. And we're going to speak words of life. And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus. Because, friends, Jesus died on the cross for every single person. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what country they live in. It doesn't matter what the primary religion is in that country. What we've been called to do is to carry the good news and be His good news messengers. The announcement that the missionary carries is that a new kingdom is dawned. And when Jesus stepped off of that boat that day into the country of the Gadarenes, He was saying, there's a new king that's on the throne and I'm here to establish a new kingdom. And these powers of darkness and these demonic spirits, they have to go because I'm here to bring light and to bring hope and to set the captive free this morning. That's what Jesus did. And that's what the missionary is called to do. The second thing I see is that Jesus engaged with the fierce. What makes men fierce? Well, the influence of the enemy makes men fierce. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately. I just referenced our own country a moment ago. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you were on or where you grew up. What evil does, the game is always the same. He wants to depreciate human life. Think about the story of these men this morning. The, the Bible, we're not going to go into all of the all three accounts, but I mentioned it's not just in Matthew, but Mark and Luke. What we take, the, the sum as we, uh, as we uh, look at those three stories, what we understand, these men would run naked around the graveyard. That's humiliating. The Bible says they would take sharp stones and they would cut themselves. They would cry out in the night. People would come to shackle them. And they were so fierce that they would break the shackles. And so people just decided, I'm going to go around that. In fact, I'm going to walk three miles longer to get to the coffee shop. (laughs) Because I don't want to go that way. I'm just believing there were coffee shops in Jesus' time. (laughs) But this is what evil does. It keeps people bound. It keeps them ignorant of the truth of who Jesus is. It keeps them in darkness. This picture that's up on the screen, we had... Nine suicide bombers a year ago, April, in our country, Easter Sunday morning. They had taken a trip to another country. They'd learned from some ISIS operatives how to make backpack bombs, and they filled these backpacks full of explosives. They wrote out an edict, and they said, we want to kill Christians, and we want to kill foreigners. So they went into five-star hotels, and they went into churches on Easter Sunday morning. They all pulled these ripcords and they detonated those bombs. Before the hymn service was done on Easter Sunday morning, 269 people lay dead in our country. 
over 1,000 people, over 1,200 people actually, lost a limb, an arm or a leg or an eye or something. Thousands more were injured. What makes men fierce? See, the, the enemy is a destroyer. And what you and I have been called to do is to respect one another. Do you understand that when we, when we help someone, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, <laughs> that, that you have, if you do something under the least of these, you've done this as, as my ministry, Jesus says. What he's called us to do is to honor and respect and love. And not everybody thinks like we do. Not everybody has the same background. Not everyone falls on the right side of things. But friends, we have been called to love people. We are in the business of reconciliation. We're in the business of restoration. We are the people who put an arm around the broken, who lift up those who are in the gutter. And we share the good news. And we walk with them through life's trials. I have a friend, if we can put up that next, uh, very next slide. It's a good friend of mine. Lives in a village, a remote part of southern Asia. If you can't tell, I'm the second guy from the left. <laughs> we have such a good time with these folks. They live about a four-hour drive from our home. And the first time I ever went to visit them, this is uh, the pastor there to the left of me, their son, Joel. We might say Joel, but with our British way of English, we say Joel. <laughs> and their son, Joshua. Jonathan is not in the picture. Their oldest son, and then Shama. And so I'll tell you why Jonathan's not in the picture. They live in a very strict radicalized Buddhist area of our country. And the very first time that I visited them, I, every single window had been broken out of their home. All the glass was broken. There was damage to the roof. We used these asbestos sheets for roofing and there were holes through the roof. And I thought, man, what, what has happened? And they said, well, we, we've been sharing the gospel here. We've been sharing stories about Jesus and and uh, people have started to come and to listen to what we have to say. And so this radical faction of Buddhism has made it their mission to rid our village of any influence other than that of Buddhism. And it got so severe at one point that they came and knocked on the door at one time and asked Shama, they said, where is the pastor? Because today we've come to kill him. Well, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Let's find out why you're here. And so his wife started to pray. He was not home at the time. And I'm happy to report that he is still living and still has a ministry there that's thriving. But all of those months as these things went on, they, they took a couple of the deacons out of the church and they beat them right in the street in front of their home. They continued to threaten them. Their, their son, Jonathan, is not in the picture because they went to enroll him in his school as he got older. And even though it's a government school, even though the Constitution guarantees the right to religion that you choose, they decided that they were not going to have a Christian in their school. And so every Sunday afternoon, mom and dad put 
Joshua on the, or Jonathan on the bus and they send him up the hill. He rides the bus about two hours and 45 minutes to a city. They pay to have him taken care of. He stays with another family. He goes to school all week. He comes back on Friday afternoons. Now, I got to be honest with you. Don't know if I'd be willing to do that as a parent. But they said, Trent, God has called us here. It's where we're supposed to be. We're believing for a day that this will change. The last time that I was with them, they had a packed out a service there. They meet twice a month on Sunday all together. And then the other two Sundays, they spread out and they have about eight or nine different what we call house church meetings that take place so that people in their church can minister to their neighbors and God is blessing and moving in that area. This is the way that we're seeing God move and God work. But guess what? It takes sacrifice. Somebody's got to be willing to put their son on a bus and do without him all week long. Got to be willing to know that people are are threatening you and yet you're going to do what it is that God has called you to do. They live and engage with the fierce. And friends, that's what Jesus did. So Jesus went where others would not go. Jesus, number two, engaged with the fierce. The last thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus worked among the defiant. Anybody ever known anybody that was defiant? Don't point, that's not nice. (laughs) You have to do some marriage counseling, pastor, I don't know. Jesus worked among the defiant. These spirits, they protested Jesus' presence. They they cried out, the Bible says, what have you to do with us? Remember that? And so, let me just give you a quick Marian translation for what they were saying. This is what I think they were saying. Jesus, you showed up just a little bit too early. We're still having our way around here. We've got these two men bound up. We've got this village all scared of these two guys. Got them living in darkness. No hope. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, you know, not only am I going to go where others would not go, not only am I going to engage with fierce people, but I'm going to work among the defiant. This is where I can do some of my very best work. And you, this is vital for us to understand. And it was also mentioned in the worship this morning that our struggle is not against human beings. Our struggle is against an enemy. And these spirits are just that. They are spirits that are possessing and dwelling inside a vessel that opened themselves up to demonic activity. But what Jesus says is, this is where I can do some of my very best work. Just prior to the Easter bombings in our country, we went up to visit some friends of ours who lived near the, the uh, Himalayan mountains, and we flew into the capital city airport, and we got on a prop plane, and we flew four more or two more hours out into the middle of nowhere, and then we got, does anybody, do we give to Speed the Light and BGMC in this church? Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Got into a four-wheel drive, speed the light, Toyota pickup. It was dark. And we went four hours driving up into the mountains. Thank God I couldn't see because it was dark. We came back down in the daylight and I didn't know there was a 1,200 foot drop this far from me on these roads that I found out later these roads are on, if you've ever seen the Discovery Channel, the world's most dangerous roads, that that, that was the road. <laughs> and so we made our way four hours up into this village where our friends were. Eight years they, they invested their lives there. How about Convoy of Hope? Do we you understand? So Convoy of Hope has partnered with us. And partner, uh, Convoy of Hope brought an expert in to help with the soil samples. And there was a problem in this village. The, 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 the children were malnourished and their body mass indexes were bad. They were falling asleep during the school day, which probably a lot of kids do, but I mean, it, it was bad. <laughs> and, and so our friends struck up this partnership and the guy at Convoy said, no, look, here's some things you can do. And so, I mean, it was very minimal. For a few thousand dollars, we were able to get something set up up there in the way of like a a greenhouse to get some plants started. And they said, look, plant these types of vegetables, plant them at this time of the year. They put in a little garden by the school and the vegetables did wonderfully and they brought the kids in and they invited the parents to come the day they were going to harvest some of the vegetables. And so they did that. They harvested, they taught them proper hand washing. I mean, these are just some of the basic things. Uh, in all of our countries of Southern Asia, this is the shaman, the left hand. I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> you also eat with your hands. <laughs> so are like, no, look, you've got to get the soap, scrub under your nails, you know. And we taught, they taught them how to make these balanced meals. And wouldn't you know that the body mass index of the kids came up. The kids would go home excited and say, hey, we planted this garden at school. It was really simple. Maybe we could do a home garden. And maybe we could invite those foreign people who showed us how to do it. And so our friends are interacting in this community and things are going awesome. And, and one day, finally, somebody says to our friends, they say, look, you've helped us so much. How did you know to tell us this stuff? And they said, you know, We serve a God that created everything that you see. Those mountains, this plant, that tree, the soil. You know, the God that we serve, he created all of those things in six days. And we actually have a few stories about him. Would you like to hear a story? We could share some stories with you about. And in Southern Asia, everybody wants to hear a story. And so they started to share stories about the gospel. There was a grandma in that village and she was one of the first people to really start listening intently to the stories. And so uh, she started uh, following a little bit, but it wasn't like a complete commitment. But the very first time that she heard a gospel story about Jesus, she looked directly at our friends and she said, that was wonderful. I just have one question. They said, okay, what's the question? She said, what is a Jesus? You told me that Jesus could transform my life. You told me that he can make the difference, that he wants to not only be my friend, but be my Lord. What is a Jesus? Is he a plant? Is he a vehicle? 
Is he a tool? Our friend said, no, Grandma, Jesus was a person. He came to the earth. God sent him here as a precious gift. He died a death on a cross and shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven and that if you serve him and follow him, the word of God says you'll be reconciled to him and you'll spend eternity with him. She said, oh. So they just kept telling the stories and telling the stories and telling the stories. One day they came to the village and the village chief He was in the center and all the people were were around the village chief. And they could tell there were some intense negotiations going on. So they showed up and grandma came over and they said, hey, what's happening? And and, uh, grandma says, you know, we've been having this conversation. You know, in our religion, we have uh, about 33 million gods. Just think about that. And... We have to do so many things to please those gods. We have to bring them offerings. We have to go on special days to special places and, and bring money and bring food and offer it to these statues. She said, I don't know, but we were just having a conversation amongst a few of us now. We do nothing singularly in our countries. Everything is together. It's like teenage girls going to the bathroom. You never see one, right? (laughs) And so everybody does everything together. And so that grandma said, so we've been here today talking to the village chief and we've just started to think about and wonder what it might look like if we started following your God and decided that we would follow him instead of keep up with all these others. And so they started to have the conversation. And it immediately went to, well, what is it that we have to do? How how do we follow your God? And can we still dance? Should we wear that, you know, red marking on our forehead? Should we do that? Should we you know, still cook food and take it to the temple? We, We don't understand what we should do. And so... They, they started to have the conversation. And so we go to the Bible. That is our a source. That's our rule. And so they went to the Old Testament and said, you know, Grandma, David danced. <laughs> there it is right there. And so that probably, be a, and that, that was a huge relief because they loved to dance in the village. I cannot wait to get to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> There are going to be some shocked people when they see what God allows. (laughs) And they just went through it one by one. You know what happened? People in that village decided they were going to follow Jesus. But the story is so familiar because it's in our text today. Jesus sets the demoniac man free. The people leave and they go to the village and they tell everybody. The scripture says they tell everything Jesus did, especially about the demon-possessed man. You know what's crazy? Those people come from town out to where these two men are. And this is what the gospel writers tell us. It says that that demon-possessed man, at least one of them, was in his right mind. He was clothed, thank God. (laughs) And he was seated And those people were so excited about what Jesus did, they invited him to stay for lunch and have tea with them. 
No, that's not what happened, is it? They were so upset, so challenged. There was something in the spiritual realm. And by the way, have you ever wondered what a bunch of Jewish people were so concerned about a herd of pigs for? I'm just asking. We'll get to it next time. (laughs) When given the choice to have freedom, to have the shackles broken, to have the possessed set free, or be drugged back into bondage, evil chooses bondage. Our friends continued to dwell in that village. And just months after that, a knock came at the door. And the village chief said, you got to go. Yeah, you helped us with this project and you helped our kids. We even know you love us. But then you started talking to us about your foreign God. And we can't have that. So you got to go. Well, our friends were pretty bummed out. Eight years invested in that place. We've had our own heartbreaks of a year, two, three years invested with somebody. Still five years invested with a Muslim man in our country that God has sent three or four different believers to walk with him through things and he still, it's like you just, he can't see beyond to know that Jesus really wants to really wants to know him. And so our friends are packing their stuff and that grandma here, she came again. She said, I don't know that you noticed this, but when you started telling those stories, she said, I was amazed. Here you are, two foreigners in my country speaking the language perfectly. (laughs) So... I had one of these old cell phones, she said, and I put a little memory chip in it and I recorded every single one of those stories that you told in our language because I was just so amazed. She said, last night, and every woman in this room can shout amen right here. This is what she said. She said, last night, I was outside gathering the wood to start the fire to cook dinner for my family. None of you have had to do that, right? Okay, amen. (laughs) She said, that's what I was doing. And I looked across the valley up to the next set of mountains. And it was just getting dark and I started to see lights come on all across that mountain. And she said, then I was reminded that I have a friend who lives in one of those villages. And then I thought, you know, my friend has not been able to hear these stories that these foreigners have shared with me. They've not ever heard a story about their God. So she said, I just want you to know that I've decided as soon as I can, I'm going to make that trip through the valley and up to the other side of the hill and I'm going to take that little cell phone with me. I'm going to play those stories because I want my friends to be able to hear the same stories that I've heard. Friends, let me tell you this morning, that is missions. That is the heart of God. It's the desire of God that people who have been living in darkness and walking in darkness and have yet to see His light, it's His will that they would see the light of who He is. 
and that they would make the decision to become a follower of his. And then after having become a follower, that something would penetrate so deeply into their heart that they would make the decision that they must go and they must tell the story to the next person. And my heart aches and my heart breaks this morning for over 200 million people in our five countries who have yet to hear the good news of who Jesus is. And my heart breaks that they have, they have thrown out the missionary and not allowed them to go and to be in certain places. But I want you to know today that the power of God and the Spirit of God is filled and indwelt that grandma in that little village. And I would bet everything on her and the gospel and the good news of Jesus this morning to complete and finish the task of sharing the good news everywhere. Friends, we must share the news. So Jesus went where others would not go. He engaged with the fierce and he worked among the defiant. Dear Lord, this morning, right now in this place in Marion, Lord, you're calling us. You're calling us to go where others would not go. You're calling us, Lord, to engage with the fierce and to work among the defiant. Lord, I sense that it's been the cry of some of our hearts, myself included at times, to say, Lord, deliver me from this situation, from a workplace, from a neighborhood, from a job situation. But Lord, you've planted us where we are for a purpose and for a reason. And I pray that you would strengthen us today. I pray, Lord, that our witness would increase. I pray, God, that our ability to be able to see people the way that you see them would increase, that our heart would break, that, Lord, what we would desire to do more than anything is to love people the way that you've loved them. Lord, help us to walk with people through their difficulty. And, Lord, I believe that you will give us a victory. I believe we will see a victory. I believe we will see a breakthrough. Because Lord, your word does not return void. It is capable of transforming lives. And you are, your word is living and active today. And so Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us a vision, Lord, of what our ministry should look like. We give you praise and we give you glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you.